leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed last week's episode, Scott Levine and I discussed our top 30 players that we expect for this upcoming 2018-19 season. Uh, Last week's episode, we covered part one, which was uh, players 1 through 14 on each of our lists. So uh, if you haven't listened to that, I urge you to to do that first. But uh, without further ado, this is part two of our conversation on players 15 through 30. Enjoy. My number 15 is uh, is Draymond Green, but I think he's he's so fascinating and so difficult to value, given the fact that, again, he he fits a role and is an elite role player. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if he's your best player on your team, how good of a team are you? Yeah, and that's kind of, he's the exception to, uh, he's, he's the reason why I wouldn't draft these players in this order. If it was like I say, say like it was a fantasy draft and, I got the 11th pick. I do have Draymond as my 11th player, but I wouldn't go Draymond. I would go Jimmy Butler. I'd go uh, Embiid. I'd go um, Oladipo over him just because it seems a lot harder to start a team with him. He's kind of, in order to really reach potential, he kind of has to be already around elite players, which is hard to hold against him, but is a factor. Right. So uh, who's your who's your next guy on your list? So right behind uh, Drew Holiday, I have Damian Lillard. It's it's a hair thin difference. Obviously, Lillard is much more of a offensive force in the regular season. Uh, when you look at his three point percentage, it's it just doesn't really make sense how he's able to do what he does. You know, he shot thirty seven percent from three last season. Forty two percent of his shots were from three, and only forty four percent were assisted. That's bonkers. He had that ridiculous <laughs> run. That kind of was overshadowed by Anthony Davis's even more ridiculous run. The Pelicans, uh, not the Pelicans, the Blazers got to like 49 wins. That was a really good team. And you look at it top to bottom, it doesn't make sense uh, that they got that far other than that Damian Lillard was just that good. I think he absolutely deserved to be on All-NBA first team. Um, the playoffs kind of unearthed some of my concerns with him. I know that Hawkless wasn't his, him himself, and maybe it would have been different if he was. And Evan Turner created a bad shooting environment or like a bad creation environment for Lillard because they were able to help off Turner but you saw it to some place where uh, Lillard got trapped and was unable to you know make the right pass or you know make like the not unless it was like an obvious pass like not make the pass where you know you kind of spray it to the corner or like to a, a wing player you're not looking at I didn't see enough of that from him and I frankly never have yeah, the postseason was certainly disappointing, but you know, going back to the regular season in Portland, winning forty nine games, yes, like uh, you know, 
the, the Blazers didn't have much spacing around Lillard and McCollum, and it was really those two guys just making ridiculous shots game in, game out. And, you know, that's certainly a huge skill. I almost consider Lillard a, a bit of like a, um, you know, a poor man's Russell Westbrook in that he can kind of lift an offense regardless of the people around them. Uh, but uh, but I also think a big reason why Portland was able to uh, to have as much success as they did getting to the three seed was they had a surprisingly good defense, which I'm not sure how much of a factor Lillard was in, in the fact that their defense was solid. Yeah, and it's it really makes sense why that uh, defense played better in the regular season than in the playoffs for me, just because drop coverage usually works better when you're not being schemed for, especially with a lumbering big like Yusuf Nurkic. You saw the Pelicans. They have two very dynamic frontcourt players in Miritich and Davis. Uh, Nurkic couldn't guard either of them. So it definitely uh, is good. You know, it's it's really tough because it's it's a what do you do you value a guy who can get you to forty something wins or a guy who can take you beyond that? And Lillard's definitely a guy who can get you there. Um, probably more so than Drew Holiday or uh, Draymond Green. Or, uh, but at the same time. I just saw too much, uh, too many yellow flags this series. So uh, I had, uh, you know, Joel Embiid at 14, Draymond Green at 15. At number 16, I got another big, and that's Rudy Gobert. Uh, The reason I have Gobert a little bit below those couple of guys is, you know, I just don't think his offensive impact, you know, is as substantial. I think, you know, he is a great uh, roller kind of lob threat guy, but beyond that, he doesn't have a post-up game. Uh, you know, he, ha- he hasn't, uh, uh, you know, he's he's improved incrementally as a passer, uh, catching the ball on the roll, but uh, still has a ways to go there. Uh, you know, can't shoot really. Uh, but, you know, he's the defensive player of the year, so you can only be so low when you have that crazy of an impact on the defensive end. And, and the Jazz had a tremendous record with, uh, with him out on the floor. I kind of see Lillard and Gobert as similar to, and I had Gobert 17th, so okay. not far off from you. But I see them as similar players in that you have kind of concerns about them leading a team into the playoffs. But at the same time, whether it's offensively or defensively, they can prop you up to being one of the better teams in the league in that regard. Lillard offensively, Gobert defensively. The Rockets series was obviously concerning, and it's why I don't have them higher. Um, I will say uh, every Jazz fan on Twitter will probably jump down your throat for even suggesting that Gobert is not an elite offensive player who can suck in the defense with his roll gravity and make the right pass on short rolls uh, if it's right in front of him and stuff like that. I think he has improved as a passer. I think that, you know, as aesthetically pleasing as his game is offensively and as smart as he is as a player offensively, it's going to be a difference if he can't shoot, right? You know, the guys who can shoot are just going to be ranked higher, right? And And the the guys that, uh, you know, the guys that can't post up either, you know, teams can switch, especially in the postseason, and not pay any price for that. Right, exactly. And uh, that's another reason why he's not higher. And you look at the defense, it's fantastic, right? Um, You're just talking about, like, rim protector bigs who, you know, might not be those switchy guys. He's, He's the best as they get. And that's why he's no lower than 17 for me. Okay, so uh, at 17 on my list, I've got uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. Or wait, did we do 16 for you yet? So 16 for me was Clay Thompson. Okay. Um, I don't think we have to discuss that too much. I think we probably have similar opinions on him. Great cutter, great shooter, good on-ball defender, smart team defender, not a primary initiator. Um, so, And obviously in a perfect situation for him, although it's hard to knock him for that. 
but I think Clay's kind of been that player for a couple of years. Maybe he's gotten incrementally better. So I don't know. I don't have much to say about him. Yeah, I, I've got a couple of things, but I'll I'll wait for when we we get him on my list. Uh, so so you had uh, you had him at sixteen, and then Gobert at seventeen. For uh, for me at seventeen, I've got Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, I actually he did not make my top thirty. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we've had a few discrepancies so far, but this is uh, easily the biggest one, I think. Um, yeah, I think a lot of my uh, list comes from projecting what I think will be valuable uh, right now and in the future. And I just look at a guy like Aldridge. He's never quite uh, been like a high-volume uh, pro finisher. Not that he can't do it, but uh, he's never really been much of a three-point shooter. And he's been a smart team defender, but he's never been like either you know, elite at protecting the rim or, like, switching out for his size. And a lot of his game is derived from the post and the mid-range. And I have him on my question mark list, which means, like, should I put this guy in the top 30? Um, but he did ultimately not did not make it for me. Interesting. So so I'll, I'll um, supply my case for why I think he's, uh, he's at 17. Uh, you know, obviously the NBA, as we mentioned, has, has gone away from, from the mid-range shot and... and he uh, is one of the best mid-range shooters in the league, uh, and you know the Spurs, you know with with Kawhi Leonard and Lamarcus Aldridge, the last couple of years have been a predominantly mid-range heavy team, and they've still you know been able to make the playoffs despite the fact that the rest of the league is shooting way more threes than they are. Uh, but but I think that you know the the threat of Aldridge's mid-range game and being in that ten to fifteen foot area allows him to you know turn over his uh, his left shoulder and get to that right hand jump hook get to the basket uh you know last year uh, he averaged 23.1 points per game eight and a half rebounds on 57 percent true shooting and a 29.1 percent usage rate you know you look at uh, throughout his entire career that's that's got to be one of the two or three best seasons he's had even going back to his portland days and, uh, you know, given that Kawhi Leonard played just nine games last season, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, in my mind, not only offensively, but uh, as uh, as a rim anchor as well, I think he's underrated defensively, was the key reason they were able to get into the postseason. Yeah, honestly, I probably don't assign as much um, credit to, you know, the Spurs players who aren't Kawhi Leonard as I should. Um, just because you look at, like, how well coached they've been and how they're able to just get meaningful uh, minutes from fringe NBA guys, and I probably don't give Aldridge as much credit as I should. Um, I still think he's like definitely borderline top 30 for me, uh, but again, I didn't put him quite there, and the reasons that are holding me back are just like the low volume of shots taken at the rim. I think that you can only be so valuable, um, and I think he's really good at what he does, but it's just mathematically um, at a disadvantage compared to guys who maybe are more adept at uh, finishing at the rim in the pick-and-roll or shooting threes. I think part of the reason he hasn't been a pick-and-roll finisher is because of the situation he's been on. He played mostly power forward in Portland and hasn't been gifted with a lot of spacing or like a, a pick-and-roll guy. Uh, even Kawhi at his uh, full health you know, didn't prefer to you know, be the pick-and-roll ball handler. It was mostly through isolation. And you know, maybe that changes with DeRozan. I still am wondering if We'll see Aldridge at, at, at his like full potential as a finisher because of the continued spacing ailments that that team will face, and I think Aldridge will play his fair share of power forward because of Pau Gasol, but it just hasn't been there ever, and 
at some point I have to say, like, well, what is he? Right, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I get his limitations, and I get the Spurs limitations. I uh, I seem to be a lot higher on the Spurs in general for this upcoming season than most. I still think they're going to be a playoff team, and, you know, that's not to say I think they're going to have success once they get there, but uh, given Greg Popovich, given DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge and their success uh, as uh, players and as a coach in the in the regular season, I think those three guys are going to get them there, but uh, you know certainly they have their limitations, which uh, if they do end up making the playoffs, will will show up. Yeah, it could either go really well, I think, or it could just they could like be by far the highest in long mid range shot frequency. Um, I think DeRozan can unlock parts of Rudy Gay and Lamarcus Aldridge's game that isn't that is kind of outside the realm of mid range shooting. I think he'll get. Aldridge more looks under the basket, and I think Rudy Gay, uh, we could see a little bit more three-point shooting from him, uh, but you know that might, that might not be the case, and it might just be a ton of long twos, and that's how they miss the playoffs, in my opinion. The defense will be fine, even with uh, not really having that many plus defenders at this point, and uh, the offense efficiency is what concerns me. Yeah, and that, that's totally fair. They they definitely lack shooting, you know, not only in that Kawhi Leonard trade losing their best player, but then also losing Danny Green, who was one of their best three-point shooters. I think that's yeah. going to hurt as well. Um, you know, um, Yeah, one, one thing I, I... Sorry to interrupt, but one question I, I, I like to ask is, uh, other than DeJounte Murray and Marcus Aldridge, who I think is a good defender, not a great one, who, who is the best defender on their team? Oh, boy. That <laughs> is... Uh, that is a that is an interesting question. Um, you know, I uh, this might uh, this might be a bit of a surprise, but I almost might go with uh, with with Pau Gasol. I probably agree, and that goes down to regular season value, and that's what they're focused on. They're focused on winning games in the regular season. You know, getting to that point where they can make the playoffs, and Gasol will help them there defensively. He might be unplayable in their first round matchup, but he will get them there probably. Yeah, he's just so long, and he he knows their system. He knows that uh, he should drop back on the pick and roll and and use his length to protect the rim, and he does that reasonably well. But yes, uh, in the playoffs when he gets switched on to Steph Curry or James Harden, it's a disaster. Yeah, and I think that uh, another huge loss for them, other than Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, was Kyle Anderson. I thought he was a fantastic defender for them, exactly what that system kind of needs. Uh, you know, just smart, heady players who will get you steals and blocks. I believe he was in the 90th percentile for forwards for both steal and block rate. Um, so they'll definitely miss him in the regular season. Yeah, he, uh, uh, slow-mo, he's, he's definitely an interesting player. It'll be, it'll be fun seeing him in Memphis uh, and see if he can, uh, he can help that team. Uh, yeah. Moving on to, uh, to my number 18, I've got... Uh, I've got Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, I had him a little further down the list at 28, but um, I, I see no reason why he can't be higher. It's kind of a Rorschach test, right? Because you can look at his production, um, you can look at his defensive woes and be like, well, why should he Why should he be in the top 20, right? Because he hasn't, you know, he probably has a lot more offensive talent to give than he did, and he was a bad defender. Um, so, but if you look at, the way he was able to succeed despite the things holding him back on offense. I think he's definitely worthy of a number 18 spot for his offense alone. I just had him lower. Yeah, I mean, that that's the biggest thing for me is I feel like he uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, would thrive in, in a better offensive system. I mean, he's got literally everything 
you want out of a big man offensively. You know, he's one of the best post-up bigs uh, in the NBA. He's, uh, you know, he's a 40% three-point shooter. Uh, he can catch the ball at the three-point line and attack the rim and finish. Uh, you know, he's, he's just got everything you could possibly want. Uh, but unfortunately, Minnesota, uh, you know, has, has built this roster that has so many guys that want to just get their own shot. You know, just last year with uh, Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Teague, Jamal Crawford, uh, you have so many guys that are just out there looking for their own shot and, you know, not getting the ball to Carl Anthony Towns. And, and Towns is a better offensive player than, I believe, all of them. I, I would agree. And probably my least favorite day of free agency last season was when they signed Taj Gibson. And I think he was great for them. But I really just hope they go after a guy like Patterson. I know Patterson didn't have the best season, but a guy like that who can allow Cat to kind of patrol the middle by himself, you know, have no one impede him between, uh, nothing impeding him between him and the basket on, you know, roles. I, I think we haven't even scratched the surface as his potential as a role man. He's an insane role gravity uh, with his ability to catch and finish, even put it on the floor if he needs to. Um, he's a great shooter, great at attacking closeout. The most natural uh, uh, closeout attacker I've ever seen for his size. That's not really original point. It's uh, A lot of people have said it, and it's quite obvious when you watch him play. And like I said, he seemed like he was succeeding despite his offense and definitely deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and he's a guy that, uh, you know, gets a lot of criticism for his defensive play, and that's certainly warranted. Uh, but I, I do feel like he has made incremental improvements, and uh, he's still a young guy that I believe will continue to uh, to get a little bit better on that end. Uh, so who do you then have at, uh, at your number 18 spot? One more thing about Towns, I think that he would get a lot less flack as a defender if he wasn't put in a bad situation for him. You have a lot of like ice and drop coverage, which requires the defender, which requires the big man to like think on his feet a lot more. I don't think Towns is quite there uh, in terms of defensive awareness, but if if you just had a switching scheme, I think he'd look so much better. Yeah, so, that's 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 a fair point. I think uh, you know, Coach Tibbs, uh, his systems on both ends of the floor probably probably hurt. Uh, Towns' value. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the reason a lot of people want him fired, including myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, 18, I had Oladipo. We talked about him a lot. You know, uh, I was just a little bit more hesitant with the shot-making ability uh, right. than you were. And it's kind of, again, it's like the Towns where like it's either, it's what you want to see, you know. Well, and it's fair with Oladipo given that, uh, you know, his his level of play that, uh, that I'm hoping he'll continue you know there's only one year of uh, of a sample for that so yeah. it's certainly fair to be worried that uh, you know that might uh, you know not continue and that's what that's where i gave drew holiday the benefit of the doubt on the mid-range creation just because we've seen him do it every season you know he's money for mid-range oladipo could do that it just hasn't happened yet okay so uh so who do you have then at uh, number 19 this is another tough one for me uh gordon hayward okay um, one spot ahead of Paul George. I kind of always, sim- you know, those two have been linked together for the entire their entire career. Uh, initially, it seemed like Utah Jazz might have made a mistake picking Hayward ninth instead of Paul George ten. I think Hayward's definitely closed the gap to the point where I'd be comfortable projecting him as a slightly better player because, unlike Paul George, I see him as a surefire second option on a contender. Uh, we saw we we already have a ton of tape from a season before last season of him in Utah just being the guy there. And, you know, they didn't take too much of a step back. That's probably because of Donovan Mitchell. But also, it kind of uh, 
is because of incremental improvements across the board from the Jazz roster and the addition of Jay Crowder, um, which is why they were able to sustain that level of play. And I think that just saying that swapping out uh, Hayward for Mitchell worked, I think is doing Hayward a little bit of a disservice. Yeah, that's uh, that's totally fair. Um, you know, the and with Utah as well, just Quinn Snyder having another season to continue to install his system, uh, and the addition of Ricky Rubio, I think, is another factor. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and Rubio actually like providing value from yeah outside the arc is something I both didn't see coming and something I think really helped them. And he's you know as long as he can be respectable from a standstill on spot up shots, he can he can be the guy they're looking for next to Donovan Mitchell until hopefully Dante Exum grows into that role. So it's interesting you had Hayward at 19. I've got a different Celtic at that spot, and that is Al Horford. Uh, I have him not too far uh, down, but, you know, when you look at guys who can maybe defend the perimeter at center, he's, he's another guy you mentioned along with Draymond, and I think that's why I have him uh, near this as well. But what was your reasoning for that? So, you know, he's a guy that to me isn't, isn't really great at anything, although his, his three-point shooting last year was, was great. You know, he was in the four, plus 40 percentile uh, from downtown. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that really doesn't have any weaknesses, and I think that's so valuable. You mentioned Draymond's ability to not only defend the post, protect the rim, but switch. Horford can do most of those things, maybe not at that high of a level, but, uh, you know, pretty close to that level. And then also his ability to shoot. Uh, he's got the passing skills as well. Uh, you know, um, he, he had a really great playoff run, especially uh, at least in those first couple of rounds for Boston last year. Uh, you know, he's just a guy that uh, really doesn't have any weaknesses. And at the, at the big man position, uh, you know, having a guy that you can throw out there that the teams can't really attack is so valuable. Yeah, I was almost tempted to put him up higher, honestly, after his playoff performance. Um, he really looked a lot more assertive in the post. And some of the plays against Cleveland in the beginning of that series when it felt like uh, Celtics had Cleveland on the ropes. Horford was just making split-second decisions to either help off a guy, go for a steal. There's some really amazing highlights if you want to go back and look at some of Al Horford's steals in that playoff series. And I almost want to kind of pump the brakes a little bit because I don't know how much of what we saw Al Horford do in the postseason is what he's, we're going to see from now on. But if he was the player he was in that postseason, he, he is an argument for like top 15, honestly, for me. Yeah, I mean, his uh, his post-play and his three-point shooting from last season, uh, you know, was kind of a revelation. He hadn't shown much of that uh, in previous years. So, yeah, you know, you, you talk about a guy that can take advantage of mismatches in the post on the offensive end and also be a, a great pick-and-pop option with, uh, you know, the likes of Kyrie. You know, yeah, he has he has tremendous value on offense. And then defensively, again, a guy that can switch and protect the rim. Uh, you know, yeah, he's he's a guy that, uh, despite not putting up crazy numbers, uh, is is one of the better basketball players in the world. Yeah, and I think that he is kind of the reason why I liked Jaron Jackson Jr. out of Michigan State so much in this draft. I had him number two, and this is kind of off topic. I'm not saying Jackson will ever get to the level of Horford, but I saw if you have a high IQ defender who can both switch onto smaller players and protect the rim, that might be the most valuable trait for a center to have. And to have a guy in the draft that could one day do that, um, if he can get close to Horford defensively, that'll be a success for the Memphis Grizzlies. And the fact that uh, Jerem Jackson hit seven threes in his first summer league game isn't too shabby either. I'm sure that uh, that excited a lot of people uh, from the Memphis area. 
So uh, moving on to uh, to my number twenty, I've got uh, Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I have him not too far down. Uh, so no problem there. So you know, I I almost you know he's another guy that uh, you know I I have to. Uh, kind of put him lower than I probably want to because I love watching him play. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, you know, offensively, he's just a genius passer. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's fun watching a guy that isn't super athletic still uh, kind of, uh, you know, fool guys on that end of the floor. Uh, but I, I had an interesting stat about Jokic. The last 15 games of the regular season last year, here were his numbers. 24 points per game, 12 rebounds, 7.5 assists on 50-45-87 shooting splits. Uh, and for the entire second half of this season, his shooting splits were 52-46-84. and 84. I, uh, I heard that on a uh, Real GM with Danny LaRue podcast, and uh, those numbers were just shocking. Like the, the fact that a big man is approaching those 50-45-90 numbers is, is, is really incredible, especially considering you know, his best skill is probably his passing. Oh, I didn't know it was that much, honestly. Like that's that's kind of shocking. And I know he was he was dynamite when the Nuggets were kind of scrambling to make the playoffs, and they finally had Millsap back, and it was like they actually were playing well together. Um, unlike in the beginning of the season where there was a filling out process. So that's insane. And if he can, you know, pick up where he left off, obviously he's going to vault way up this list. Um, I do think he has benefited in a weird way from not being in the playoffs. We don't have these visions of him getting burned by perimeter players the way we do <laughs> yeah. with Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert right. and maybe some of the centers ranked above him um, and maybe below him I think that we'll have to uh, I have to reserve my judgment on him as a defender I know he's not the best defender but I'll have to see how exactly damaging he is once we see him in a playoff series so I'm hoping the Nuggets make the playoffs so we can realize where he is right now I think he has room to improve um, he has legitimate opportunity to become better is what I mean because he has a smart you know player and that usually uh, will lead to good team defense I think it was Dan Rosenbaum a sports business classroom shout out who said uh, that assist rate can actually be correlated with um, defense from a big man just because it means they know where to be and they know uh, where uh, they know the angles of the game and whatnot and obviously he has his physical limitations but um, I've, I've heard it float around maybe he can be like a poor man's version of 2013 Marc Gasol and his ability to kind of like stand under the rim and uh, you know be in the right position, and maybe that player isn't as valuable in 2018 as it was in 2013. But I don't hate that comparison for him. Like obviously he'll never be a guy who can get out under the perimeter. That might be less of an issue when we see some of these top guys uh, get older, and them, and, and you know who's gonna who's gonna fill the shoes of Steph Curry. It, it might be Trey Young, which I hate that comparison. But um, it might be another guy who comes in and punishes these big lumbering players for not getting out on the perimeter, but it might not be. So I, I think there's reason to believe um, if you have Jokic as your best player, you can be a championship contender going forward. Yeah, that, uh, you know, the the biggest reason I had Towns a couple spots ahead is uh, Towns, I think, as you mentioned, is probably more effective as a switch big and maybe wouldn't look as bad in a potential playoff matchup. Uh, and we've even seen Towns, and, and they Minnesota actually did surprisingly well defensively against the Rockets for a lot of that uh, that first-round series. Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking of, you were mentioning some stats from Cleaning the Glass. I actually read an article about Jokic on Cleaning the Glass talking about his defense and that Ben Falk, who runs the site, was comparing him with Dirk Nowitzki back in his prime and that 
you know, those guys are maybe a little bit better defensively than you'd think because they're in the right spots and they don't commit a lot of fouls, which uh, is valuable from that center position. Yeah, he's definitely not a lost cause in that area. It'll just be interesting to see how the league evolves to either um, make it not as big of a deal that he can't get on the perimeter or maybe, you know, it becomes even more of a problem. Who knows? All right, so uh, I had Jokic at 20. Who do you have at that spot? So I had Paul George, um, okay. as mentioned earlier, but 21, I have Kemba Walker. And he's kind of on the lower end of guys who I feel like can be kind of a prop up in offense. I think he didn't really get the chance to because they had no legitimate backup creation. They haven't really had that since Jeremy Lin left. Coincidentally, that was the season they made, last season they made the playoffs. Um, you can point to a lot of other reasons, but one reason you can't point to as to why they're bad is Kemba Walker. Right. I mean, the dude's kind of just been doing things almost single-handedly. You look at his combination of his intersection of three-point shooting off the dribble and lack of turnovers are kind of what do it for me. Um, He doesn't have the best assist rate because, you know, you could maybe say he doesn't have elite vision or, like, his teammates aren't the best. Um, But for whatever reason, that's what's kind of preventing him from being, you know, an A1, you know, elite creator. But he still has a low turnover percentage uh, his entire career. And this season, he shot fewer than um, half of it, less than half of his shots off uh, unassisted from three. And he took 41% of his shots from three-point range, according to Cleaning the Glass, and made 39%. Um, so he's a guy, he's, he's, he's kind of uh, fallen off as a, as a finisher at the rim, but um, you know can still get to the rim when he needs to, although his game has kind of evolved in the last few years where he's just uh, an elite off-the-dribble three-point shooter. And I think that that's kind of the starting point if you want to be a primary creator on a good team is to hit that scheme-changing shot. It's interesting, you know, he, this is the first guy on your list that isn't in my top 30. He was definitely in my honorable mentions. He was, it was a close call. Uh, but, uh, but my big thing, and, and going back to your comments about Paul George and you not fully believing that he's, a, he's an elite, you know, even secondary creator, I think Kemba Walker, like, I believe Paul George is, uh, you know, pretty good secondary creator, and I believe Kemba Walker is also in that category. Uh, you know, I think if... if if Kemba Walker is your is your top creator on your team, I don't think you're a championship contender. And the reason I have Walker well below like a Paul George is because I think the value Paul George brings not only with his uh, you know position but his defense that I think Kemba Walker doesn't bring as much of. Uh, you know he he certainly tries, but he's uh, he's just so diminutive at uh, at that point guard spot. It's hard for him to be a truly impactful player on that end. Yeah, and that's a fair argument, and the fact that you can make that argument shows how valuable, or how hard it is, rather, to be a primary creator on, you know, one of those really good teams. You know, if Kemba Walker, if you have reservations about Kemba Walker, who's shooting 40%, generating a ton of shots off the dribble from three, um, not turning the ball over, kind of being an offense unto himself, if he's going to have trouble with that, then it shows that only a handful of guys can really be at that level, so... I still think he has a ton of value for a team in the regular season. I think that if Charlotte could just get a little better, that would be a perennial playoff team. And he's a good point guard for that. I agree that I don't necessarily see him as a point guard on a contender unless he's surrounded by considerable talent, though. That's why I have him at 21. But, you know, just that intersection of three-point shooting and dribbling, off the dribble, rather, uh, really sold it for me. Yeah, and then he's uh, he's basically the only uh, the only thing on the Hornets that's worth watching at this point. Uh, the uh, 
Uh, my number 21, We you mentioned, I think uh, he was at, I believe, 16 for you, uh, is Clay Thompson. Yep. So, uh, so the I just have one stat about him just, you know, talking about his consistency. You know, these are his numbers for the last four regular seasons, uh, you know, uh, the, the range for these stats. He's averaged between 20 points and 22.3 points per game each of the last four seasons. He shot between... 46.3 and 48.8% from the field. And from downtown, he shot between 41.4 and 44% uh, from the three-point line. So just talk about a guy that, uh, you know, consistently brings in and is the, uh, you know, an absolute professional out there consistently doing his job. Something I forgot to mention when I had him 16th, I kind of glossed over it because I was kind of eager to talk about some other guys. Um, but, uh, Something that gets uh, something that really vaults into sixteen for me is just the reality that we're living in in the NBA now, where generating three open three pointers is just as important as making them, in my opinion. And you look at his shot versatility; he can shoot uh, off a dribble. You know, not like he can't like he's not, not going to shoot off the dribble in like a pick and roll or anything. But yeah, he, he can he can take a few straight line dribbles and then shoot, it, especially in transition. Uh, you can shoot off movement easy, you know, no problem. You can shoot a few feet beyond the arc, and those are kind of the three things you need to have to be a versatile shooter in today's game. With switching defense, you're not going to get as many wide, wide-open shots. Switching defense exists so that to eliminate the kind of driving kick and, uh, you know, spray to the three open three-point shooter and easy bucket, right? That's what they're trying to prevent. So having a guy who can get off looks like Clay is invaluable. I mentioned that a lot in my Miritich article that's coming out and why I think Miritich... Um, is underrated because of his ability to generate those similar looks. Obviously, Clay does the same, but to a much larger degree. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and uh, you know this probably won't happen. I've I've heard rumors that Clay Thompson's gonna uh, you know take an extension with the Warriors, and he wants to play his entire career there. But uh, you know it would be fascinating to see him as the number one option in the NBA in in the modern game. You know, you look at a guy like Reggie Miller back in the day or Ray Allen, who were those guys that had similar skill sets. They could run off screens, hit really difficult, deep three-point shots. It would be fascinating to see Clay Thompson as a number one guy on a team in this day and age and see how successful that could be. For sure. Yeah, the dribbling, obviously, uh, is is a concern in, in projecting him to that role. And honestly... The dribbling and like self creation is the reason he's not higher because there's nothing else you can point to and really complain about. Right, because his uh, we haven't mentioned much about his defense, but his defense is incredibly yeah, solid. His defense, uh, his his off ball instincts when cutting, you know, he's part of what makes the Warriors the Warriors in both facets. You know, between the defense and just I think the Warriors are this is partially because of all the space, uh, but they're the best cutting team I think in the league. Baseline cutting, uh, whether it's him, Livingston, Iguodala. Draymond, they have so many great cutters, and Clay's maybe the best one. So who uh, who do you have next on your list, Scott? So we were at 22, so I had Al Horford. Um, so okay. we mentioned him. I said everything I want to about him. 23, I have Kyle Lowry. Okay, so yeah, I have uh, I have Kyle Lowry pretty, pretty close to that range. I actually have him at 24. Uh, so yeah, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, and uh, I think that... He- I, I think this. I, I think DeRozan obviously is a fantastic player. I have him a little lower on the list. Uh, he get, the, the two get lumped together because they're about similar. I say in terms of reputation, maybe DeRozan gets a little bit better of a reputation because he's the one putting the ball in the basket more often. But I really am interested.
interested to see what DeRozan will look like, and he'll probably look similar, right? In San Antonio, that's okay system for him. But it will be interesting to see how much Lowry liberated DeRozan to be DeRozan, right? Because Lowry is the rare breed of guy who is very comfortable playing as an off-ball player. Um, but if you swing it to him, he can you know get you a bucket, right? Yeah. He is overqualified on that team for a lot of his career. Maybe not now because he's older, but he was overqualified to be a secondary creator a lot of the time. And uh, he's super efficient, you know. You look at his uh, three-point shooting these past couple years. Last season, he shot 60% of his attempts from three, made 40% of them. So that's exactly the kind of guy you want to put right next to DeRozan. I, I remember there were some like rumors that he might be going to Philly a couple years ago. Um, they have faults now, so it probably won't happen. But he's the guy you kind of want to put as the point guard next to Simmons, a guy who can space the floor, move well off ball, but also you know get his own bucket. Right. I thought last post or last off season, I thought Kyle Lowry would have been a great fit with Minnesota. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you, you look at one of those teams like that, and just the value of having those guys who can fit into almost any team. Um, it's it's what really bumps them up to twenty three for me. Um, yeah, the and uh, you know, you, you mentioned that he's uh, you know his his usage rate has has lowered the last couple of years, but the fact that he's uh, improved his efficiency, just uh, you know, when he's lowered his usage, uh, you know, that's that's what you want. And you know, I feel like he's uh, he's aging pretty gracefully, and he's a he's a solid defensive player. Uh, but uh, moving up my list, getting to that uh, Lowry at twenty four, I had Drew Holiday at twenty two and Damian Lillard at twenty three. So you know, we both had those kind of two guys. Uh, right next to each other, and we both put Holiday over Lillard. Probably, you know, maybe we're we're valuing that one playoff series a little bit too heavily, but uh, but uh, certainly I, I understood all your points. I just have both of those guys a little bit lower down. Um, you know, Holiday maybe a little bit because you know he's had some had some injury issues in the past, and last season was really the first year where he's been able to to play most of the year. And with Damian Lillard, you know, the the struggles in last season's playoffs uh, certainly a, a big concern. Oh, I, I, I am 100% valuing that series too much for Drew Holiday. <laughs> yeah. But my love for Drew Holiday can't be contained, and that's why I had him number 14. All right, so, uh, yeah, who did you have then at, uh, at 24? So I had Jokic, so we'll go to uh, number 25. For me, that was John Wall. Okay. It's really tough, right, because he didn't look great when he came. He wasn't the player we were used to seeing when he came back. It never quite made sense. You know, they kind of found some momentum in the playoffs um, through, like, you know, weird Mike Scott performances or, you know, Kelly Oubre, like, kind of playing okay, um, Beal playing well. But it's kind of damning that they weren't that much worse without him. And I think that's because Beal has a lot of untapped creation ability. Mm -hmm. And also it was, like, kind of a short run. It didn't seem sustainable to play that well without John Wall. But, like, this wasn't the best season for Wall supporters, right? Years prior, it wouldn't. I wouldn't blink at putting him at 25, but I really had to think about it, and I think what it comes down to is when he gets healthy, we'll see a player more like uh, from a few seasons ago than last season. Yeah, that uh, that's fair. I um, I didn't have Wall in my top 30. I had him, you know, on the uh, you know the honorable mentions category, but he's uh, he's certainly a guy that just a few seasons ago I had him approaching near the top 10. I mean his his transition play along with his defense 
was uh, you know was elite, but his defense has fallen off a cliff the last couple of years, and that combined with the durability issues and you know he's always kind of struggled in the half court. Uh, you know that those are my biggest concerns and why I have him a little bit lower than you do. I'm not expecting great things from the Wizards, but I think it'll be obviously a lot better. I think this is a high 40s win team. I like the addition of Austin Rivers um, just because he is uh, gives them punch off the bench. Saransky was kind of miscast as like a backup point guard. I think he's more of a two, honestly, mm-hmm. and he played better alongside a primary initiator in Beal when he got moved to the starting lineup. The Dwight Howard stuff kind of scares me, especially since <laughs> he seems to be playing a role that might not be best for this team or be interested in playing a role. You know, you kind of want him, all, all his career, we've kind of just wanted him to embrace being a rim runner, and it's a big reason why Rockets got a lot better when they started Capella, because he was he did all the things that they wanted Dwight to do. Yep. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think that he'll be at least a redemption year for Wall. He has the pieces around him to thrive, and I'm looking forward to him kind of recouping his value. So, at, at that same spot at 25 for me, I've got the, the other Washington wizard, Bradley Beal. Uh, that's, so, okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's safe to say. I think you would even agree with this that Beal was the better player last season. Uh, 100%. You know, and um, as you mentioned, his playmaking skills have uh, have improved over the last couple of years. Uh, the 2015-16 season, he averaged just 2.9 assists, but then in uh, but in this most recent season, he'd up back to about 4.5 assists per game. Uh, and, you know, his health, you know, he had some durability concerns in the past like John Wall does now. Uh, but uh, the last two seasons, he's played 77 and 82 games respectively. So, you know, you factor in that he's been on the floor, he's improved his playmaking, and he's continued to be one of the better three-point shooters in the league. Uh, you know, and, you know, I, I don't think he's anything near like an elite defender, but I think he's solid on that end as well. I, I have no arguments against that. I guess it's just kind of projecting Wall to uh, re- reclaim that kind of uh, best player on the Wizards spot this upcoming season. But I agree that Beal was that player. And, you know, I'd like to see it a little more um, before I, you know, take that leap with him as kind of a primary initiator. But you, you, everything you said makes sense. Yeah, and, uh, like, uh, you know, I, I also felt that Wall was, was the better wizard for, for many years. But, yeah, so it, I guess it's just a matter of I'm a little more pessimistic about him returning to form, whereas you, you were pretty confident in that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, maybe not to form, but definitely closer to who he has been than who he, will, who, who he was last season. That's fair. Okay, so who do you then have at, uh, at your number 26 spot? Uh, number 26, I have Mike Conley. And obviously this is another tough ranking for me because obviously last season was a lost season for him. And uh, But before that, you know, what he showed us before he went down with the, um, I think it was a foot uh, injury, um, He, you know, they were a 7-5 team and he was the engine behind them just as he was the prior season. The season before, they, they were actually in the playoffs. I know it seems like a long time ago. But, uh, right, <laughs> after how horrible the Grizzlies were last year, yes. Yeah, uh, so last season I think the most impressive stat, and I'm bringing up the second spectrum tracking data from NBA.com right now, is off the dribble, he shot from three. He shot 3.6 attempts and made 38.9 of them. And that is so hard to do. To kind of, I think only like three players have eclipsed like 40 over the course of a regular season. Um, 
interestingly enough, Tyreek Evans, who was also on the Grizzlies with one of them from last season. I think the other two are probably like Steph Curry and someone else. But he puts him in really rare company to you know shoot 3.6 attempts off the dribble from three and then make close to 40. Um, great catch-and-shoot numbers. And I think he's the reason the Grizzlies were able to stay relevant despite aging core uh, was just his off-the-dribble uh, creation. And I think I'd probably put him above guys like Kemba Walker and even Kyle Lowry. Um, if I knew he would be who he was that year, but obviously you have to kind of have your reservations because he missed an entire season, basically. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with everything you said. I, I really love Mike Conley, and yeah, if you uh, if I had to rank based on his last healthy season, he probably would have been in the top twenty. Uh, you know, he was that good, and he's a guy that uh, you got to give him credit. He has improved year in and year out, uh, and and continued to get better, just improving his game. Like you know, you talk about the off the dribble threes. That wasn't something he could do even five years ago, and uh, now he's becoming one of the better players in the league at that. My, you know, the the durability concerns are are really frightening to me uh, because, you know, that Achilles stuff, uh, as soon as you start getting sore Achilles, I I find that hard to to believe that that's just going to go away. I think that might be a situation and a problem he's going to deal with the rest of his career, uh, you know, until the point where, uh, you know, he might tear it. Hopefully he doesn't, but, uh, you know, I think that's one of those parts of the body that, uh, it doesn't really necessarily heal once you start having problems with it, and you kind of just need to have the worst-case scenario happen before you can start to fully recover. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is the, I'm definitely holding out a lot of hope that he'll be the player he was. I, I really like for that to happen because I, I enjoyed – I'm one of the people who really enjoyed watching those Grizzlies teams despite kind of their bad rep for playing slow. And we haven't even touched on upon his – like too much about his defense, but, you know, he is – what you want from a point of attack defender he has great pick and roll positioning doesn't die on screens and can even like kind of has a little Chris Paul in him where he can bother some larger players with just his strength and uh, kind of quickness on, yeah. when guarding them yeah I mean he was uh, he was a key part of that uh, that grit and grind him and Tony Allen in the backcourt was just uh, was was incredibly Brutal. difficult to, uh, to deal with uh, so uh, my number 26 you mentioned him a little bit earlier I've got Gordon Hayward now yeah. um, you know uh, similar to Conley, missed pretty much all of last season. Of course, had that horrific injury on the opening night. Uh, but uh, he's a guy that his last healthy season with Utah averaged about 22 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, 3.5 assists on 59.5 uh, true shooting percentage. So he's a guy that, uh, you know, and again, uh, he's about 6'8", six, 6'9", six, even. And, uh, you know, plays pretty solid defense as well, can switch. Uh, so he's a guy that really doesn't have uh, any weaknesses in his game. And if he comes back and is, is fully himself, he might be a little bit even higher on this list. I'm expecting him to I'm expecting him to come back and play. I'm just not confident that he's going to be exactly the same player we saw in Utah. For sure. And it's really a shame, not only just the injury for obvious reasons, but I just feel like the way the Celtics found success in the postseason lends itself so well to the way he would play. Just, you know, you talked about positional versatility, being able to guard multiple positions, and being able to really take advantage of mismatches. You know, if Eric Bledsoe or whomever switched on to Gordon Hayward, J.J. Redick, you name it, uh, any smaller players, he's, he's, take, he, he's posting them up, and if a bigger guy switches on him, he's taking that guy to the hole. So definitely a shame that we didn't get to see him in that kind of uh, mismatch basketball the Celtics played last postseason. 
Yeah, and uh, that, that's another reason why it's going to be so exciting to see them this year. You know that uh, uh, you know not only the development of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but uh, just throwing Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving into the mix. That's going to be so fascinating to watch. Seems unfair, kind of. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, so, uh, who do you then have at uh, at your next spot? At twenty-seven, um, this is another one. Speaking of injuries, gosh, Kristaps uh, Porzingis. Okay. I have no idea what he's going to be when he comes back. Ton of concerns, but if you just look at the forty-eight games he played as a Nick last season, only twenty-two years old, but he averaged uh, twenty-two point seven points per game. Shot almost 30% from three on 4.8 attempts, so he's getting a lot off. Um, good efficiency, good free throw shooting, got to the line almost six times a game. Um, he could probably improve in that regard a little bit, but nothing, you know, it's not too bad. Uh, you know, Great shot blocker. Really, uh, Hopefully he'll play full-time center eventually. I mean, that's my hope for him. I don't know if he's a good idea yet just because he's a little young and you want to kind of, uh, and especially with durability concerns, maybe not the best idea. But I think uh, when he did get an opportunity to like be under the rim, he, he was in your tops in rim protection, if I remember correctly. Um, and just like I thought he was a lock for most improved player until Victor Oladipo kind of steadily, you know, did his thing, and Chris Stapps got hurt. Yeah, um, you know, I would probably have him on my list. I just didn't include him, given that he's most likely going to miss at least half the season, if not more. So I just, uh, um, you know considering we're projecting after this year I didn't include him but yeah if he was if he was healthy he certainly would be on there and uh but you know the other concern him being a seven foot three mammoth of a human being uh you know an ACL you know might not be as big of a deal for a smaller guy but a big guy like Kristaps that uh you know also moves really well for for his size uh, is is a concerning injury that uh, hopefully he'll be able to to return back to his old self yeah, I was, it was more just a shout-out to the 48 games he did play last season where it seemed like there was a chance the Knicks like, latch on to the 8th seed. Yeah, he, that um, crazy he, in hindsight, considering how bad they ended up being. Some, some, some of that was through acquiring Emmanuel Moutier, who you know, was kind of a stealth tank by then. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, who's to say they couldn't have won like, close to 40 games if Porzingis plays the entire season? Well, and he's had this tendency, too, though, that... Uh, um, you know, he gets off to these crazy hot starts like the first month or two of the year and then kind of cools down like those percentages you're referring to. He was just blistering hot uh, early on and then kind of cooled off, and it's been kind of that trend for the last couple of years. Yeah, it's definitely something I, I didn't think about, but it maybe looks better uh, as overall as this season that he didn't play the second half of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, at, at my number 27 spot, I have the Rookie of the Year last year, Ben Simmons. Yeah, he just barely missed my list, um, but he could have easily made it if I thought about it for longer. You know, a, a lot of it was just kind of going with who I had and, and liking it, but I can see why he's on your list. Yeah, and uh, the, the biggest, uh, the most impressive thing about him last year that was a, that was a big surprise was his defense. I mean, he was just... Uh, you know, not only just an average defender, uh, you know, coming out of college, I think a lot of people were just hoping he would he would get to average, but uh, he was well above average, and a guy that, uh, you know, I think even had some consideration from voters for uh, the All-NBA defensive teams. Oh, totally, yeah, like, and then you combine that with just his ability to adjust in-game, you know, the fact that he was able to be that effective without a jump shot didn't really bite him until the Celtics series, I think he's maybe underrated nationally 
because of how bad he looked in that series. But yeah. you look at him against the Heat in the playoffs, like he had an answer for everything they tried to throw at him. Like it's not just like play off him and you're fine, right? He can he can develop a head of steam and charge right at you. Um, he can, you know, he had great shooters around him, so he could like set screens for them. Um, you know find ways to get them open. There were just so many things he threw at the Heat. It was like the Heat's collective hive mind versus Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons <laughs> won. And yeah. he's like, what? He was only a rookie. So that's quite impressive. And, uh, you know, there's an argument for him. Like, you'd rather have him next season as the Wizards than John Wall, right? You know, there's, like, I, I can't even say I wouldn't rather have that. I think I'm kind right. of too much, too optimistic about John Wall that he'll get back, and that's why I have him number 25. But, it seems like you would rather have Ben Simmons than John Wall, and that's entirely defensible, and that goes to show how quickly he's risen to above these ranks. Well, and, you know, he, I, I certainly, uh, you know, yeah, that Celtics series was very concerning. You know, when he gets to play against the best of the best, the elite of the elite defenses that don't have any weak links and are extremely well coached, uh, you know, he's going to struggle without that jump shot, and I question whether he'll ever get the jumper. Uh, but one thing I think I, I wouldn't be shocked if he improves on this year is that uh, that floater game and also the post game. I think if he can improve on those couple of areas, even if he doesn't develop the shot, I think that will uh, will help his offense tremendously. And we haven't even seen him as a, as a screener, right? If Fultz can, you know, provide, you know, serviceable minutes for them at the point guard position, we're going to see him catch the ball on short rolls hopefully and all of a sudden uh, he'll be in like advantage situations where he's defense is at his mercy right so he has he can kick it to a shooter or you know lob it up to Embiid maybe Embiid you can put him on the perimeter uh just the versatility of uh that lineup will unlock a lot of stuff we had we didn't see last year with Simmons yeah that's uh that's all that's all very exciting and uh, uh you know Philadelphia is going to be so intriguing to watch and uh, Markel Fultz one of the one of the key reasons for that seeing what uh, what he is going to become in year two uh, so uh, my uh, my number twenty eight spot, I've got Kevin Love. Yeah, he just missed my uh, list as well. But again, I think that will look really smart a few years from now when he's uh, not, not a few years, a few months from now when he's you know averaging twenty and ten on the Cavs as like the lead guy, and they're only a few games out of the playoff race. Yeah, that's the you know the that's the question is are we going to get the Kevin Love that we've seen the last couple of years, or are we going to get the Kevin Love from Minnesota when he was the number one option? I personally think it's going to be kind of in between the two. You know, he's he's not as big as he was in his Minnesota days, so I don't see him averaging 13 or 14 rebounds. But, you know, if he's not standing on the three-point line quite as much as he did with LeBron, you know, he might average another offensive rebound or two uh, to get him in the 11 or 11.5 range rebounding-wise. And, you know, if he, he gets more shots, not only in the post, but also, uh, you know, working from the elbows and being a, a screen man, uh, I think, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if he averages 22-11 and 11 next season. Right, and the game has kind of fallen out of favor of with Minnesota Kevin Love just so the demands defensively of a power forward. But in some ways, it's also uh, gone in that player's favor, right? Because nowadays, you could put who he was in Minnesota at the five, right? And he could just be your offensive fulcrum and, you know, just like be a terror inside. Great ball handling for his size, great um, finishing ability over smaller players in the post. And, you know, we didn't really see him much at, like, small ball center, which we'll hopefully see more of this season. The question now is whether Cleveland has the horses to uh, utilize 
that player. You know, they still have a lot of their core from last postseason with uh, JR and Kyle Korver and some players like that. But if Colin Sexton is starting a point guard, that's going to be a tricky uh, situation for Kevin Love to be the role man in because we don't know what Colin Sexton's going to be. I don't have many hopes for him, at least next year. Um, it won't be a while until he can run like a, you know, a starting caliber pick and roll with Kevin Love. Well, yeah, you know, rookie point guards are generally pretty poor. Uh, but, uh, you know, especially in Sexton's case, he, uh, you know, his strengths coming out of the draft, in my mind, were his ability to, to score himself. His passing still has a long way to go. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, I uh, you know, if the Cavs are trying to win games, which I, I question whether they should be trying to win games, but if they are, I wouldn't be shocked if George Hill starts with Sexton being the, the backup point guard. Yeah, and that's a good point. And part of me is like, well, you invested this eighth overall pick in Sexton, so I get like trying to put him around shooters and good players and like kind of accelerating his development in that regard, you know, making the game easier for him. But that also would get in the way of winning, so it's kind of a tug of war between prospect development and, you know, short term success. So, Scott, who do you have at, uh, at number 28? So I had Towns. I, I feel weird about having him that low, but I think if you just were to diagnose uh, his production so far in the league, it would be around this range. Um, so my number 29 spot is probably the second biggest kind of weird thing I have on this list other than Drew Holiday. Probably I'd okay. say 14 is probably the most unpopular opinion. This one might not be as unpopular as it used to be, um, but number 29, I have Chris Middleton. Okay, I actually have him at 30. Yep. Oh, okay, so we're not too far off. And sometimes, I honestly decided putting him, considered putting him higher, but all the guys ahead of him, you know, they're just like, I think all the guys ahead of him at their best are fully-fledged stars. And I just don't know if Middleton can uh, build on his playoff performance with the Celtic, against the Celtics last season. I mean, you look at it, he was around, in the first couple of games, he was around 60% from both three and, uh, you know, just overall. He was just roasting. He was roasting Jason Tatum in isolation. It's the only guy who could stay in front of him were Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. And Marcus Smart was out the first four games. So Milton was an absolute world destroyer in those first four games. I wouldn't go as far to say he was their best player because of Giannis, but it was at least something where he had to stop and think about it, the way Middleton was playing. And, you know, I think the game has kind of worked out in his favor because He's really good at attacking mismatches. You know, he was too big for, like, the Rosier types who he could post up over, and he has a ridiculous first step, um, much faster than you'd think it would be just because he's really good sense of timing and really good at catching people off guard and was able to blow by, you know, like I said, Marcus Morris, Jason Tatum's people who were able to kind of stay in front of a lot of comparable players. Um, so I really don't feel it's that controversial to put him at 29 and think that if the Bucks, uh, you know, reach their potential, he could make an all-star team. Right, I mean, the guy has averaged 20 points a game on mul- uh, during multiple different seasons, and as you mentioned, that playoff series against Boston, he was just a monster. Shot 61% from three for the series. Uh, it's just crazy. He had that uh, insane shot from about half court in game one to send, the, send it to overtime. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's another guy that I think as your secondary playmaker, I think you're, you're pretty good if, if he's that. And for Milwaukee, you know, you've got Giannis as the number one guy and, and Middleton at two. I think that's pretty solid. Uh, they probably need a little bit more shooting around those two guys. But, uh, and then defensively, you know, he's, he's not really a stopper. But, again, he's, he's a solid guy that can switch because he's, he's got good size. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think a couple of years ago he had like a ridiculous season in terms of defensive RPM, and he's been slightly overrated since. His um, game-to-game effort is uh, definitely lacking uh, in the regular season, but he definitely turned it on in the playoffs uh, as much as he could given his offensive burden. And he's a guy like uh, similar to a DeRozan or a Bradley Beal that came into the league without really any passing skills and has slowly but surely improved. And, you know, he's still not great as a, uh, as a facilitator, but uh, he's certainly uh, gotten a lot better at that as, uh, as his career has gone along. He's better at it than Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> yes, that's true. Boy, oh boy. Talk about, you know, Middleton had this great playoff series. Bledsoe, uh, that, was, that was quite a disaster co- compared to, uh, to my expectations going in. I, I, I would be tempted as buttonholzer to, in, in future playoff series, just start Bledsoe, uh, Middleton at the one, honestly. If Interesting. They don't get an upgrade. Interesting. I think that, you know, having Giannis obviously uh, lowers the learning curve for a, a point guard, but you look at what you want from a point guard. He doesn't have the passing, but he has the shot creation, which you might be able to get away with playing him at the one next to Giannis. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting thought, and that would be a supersized lineup that uh, that could switch really well. Yeah, the only concern is that they don't have enough guys to fill out the wing positions then. But, you know, maybe it's easier to get uh, some wings than it is to get a surefire, you know, point guard. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they... Uh... Uh, I, I, I tend to like Tony Snell more than most people. Uh, you know, he didn't play well in that series, but I think that was just the, more the offense and the opportunity than anything else. But, um, but yeah, they, uh, they certainly still need to, to, to build out the rest of that roster. Uh, my, my number 29, I had, uh, I had Paul Millsap. And that's one I probably should have considered more, honestly. I think that I felt like I didn't, really forget about any players until him and he, i kind of regret not putting him higher <laughs> yeah he um you know his last season as the main guy for atlanta he you know uh people forget that as bad you know similar to the grizzlies you know that as bad as atlanta was last year they made the playoffs the year before and uh you know their one big absence was Millsap. Uh, i think yeah i'm gonna make a correction right now he's in that lowry Jokic like mid 20s early 20s range for me okay for sure. Yeah, he, um, you know, his defense, and, you know, he's not great at anything offensively, but he, he kind of, in my mind, can kind of fill a Draymond Green sort of role where he's got the versatility to, you know, he can take threes, although he's not great at it, but he can pass, he can handle the basketball, and do a little bit of everything offensively. So I think, uh, you know, given that Denver will run through Jokic, their offense, I think he's going to be able to fill in and and kind of just fit an offensive role and be the defensive anchor for that team. Couldn't agree more. Like the the, the way the league has changed really brought, brought his defensive skill set into value. Can't stress that enough. And um, I, I feel so stupid for forgetting about him. I mean, there's there's over 450 players to consider, so <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, it's understandable that you forgot about one of them. But uh, but yeah, so you had uh, Middleton at 29. Who is your? Uh, uh, we're finally to the end here. Uh, who do you have as uh, uh, as number thirty? Have actually, pushed this guy out of number thirty. Um, but number thirty for me uh, before that, I realized that was Demar Derozan. Okay, um, he was I, just I, uh, he was in the honorable mention for me, but just out. Yeah. Um, I think uh, 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 something that's worth mentioning. Um, I think the three point shooting gets a lot of buzz as his main improvement from last season. I don't think that was where he was best. Um, I, you know, low volume, 
ended up being not that great. His biggest improvement from last season was his passing, I think. Yep. And it's not even close. Um, you look at 2016-2017, he had a assist rate of 20.5, assist-to-usage rate of 0.58. Um, not great for a wing score, but you look at last year, he has an assist rate of 24%, and that means an assist-to-usage rate, all this cleaning the glass, assist-to-usage rate 0.79. Um, which is actually 85th percentile for a wing. And I think that was the differentiator between his season two seasons ago and last season and why he became like all NBA second team or whatever he was. Like he finally kind of unlocked that offense. Um, I know that Lowry, uh, the on off numbers were better, but I, I really felt like DeRozan, he just, his usage rate is so high and he does fill such a role, albeit in not the most efficient way. For that team, he keeps them afloat, and there's so much value to what he does. And the fact that he was able to bump up his playmaking a tick really uh, sold it for me uh, for the top 30. Uh, obviously, the playoffs were still kind of concerning. I think offensively, he was better than he was in years past. It's really the defense that screwed them over against the Cavs. Um, but, yeah, the playoffs are still a concern, and that's why he's not higher. Yeah, I mean, the uh, you know I think Lowry and DeRozan both got a lot of flack uh, you know, for the last couple of years for their playoff performances. But really, I, I feel like Kyle Lowry has, has uh, you know, performed pretty well the la- at least the last couple of postseasons, uh, whereas DeRozan has still continued to struggle. And, you know, he just seems like the perfect type of player that, you know, has great regular season value. You know, he, he's a guy that averaged... 27 and 23 points per game the last couple of seasons on 55% true shooting. Uh, you know, that, that true shooting percentage is, it's not above average, but it's pretty close to average for the league. And, you know, if you can do that on high volume, that has value. The Raptors have been really good regular season teams record-wise, in large part due to DeRozan. Uh, but those playoff struggles are, are just such a massive concern, and, and I don't see them going away anytime soon. Uh, you know, of course, the Spurs are known as these uh, as this team that can fix any player's shots. You know, they did wonders with Kawhi Leonard, who came into the league as a non-shooter. So who knows? Maybe DeMar DeRozan will shoot 40% from three next year on five attempts a game. <laughs> yeah, I'd really like that as someone who, like, I, 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 I like DeRozan. I like how he's been very candid about his mental health in recent years, and he seems like one of the most genuine guys in the league, so... If there's anyone I'm hoping for to like really get that next level, it's him. Um, I definitely agree that Lowry has looked better overall. Um, sometimes it was, you know, some, sometimes he did look kind of bricky, and especially in 2016 in that god awful series against the Miami Heat, where neither team was that good, and everyone wanted the game, the series to be over. Um, if you remember that. Yes, but, and I think he actually was suffering from a bit of an elbow injury as well. Uh, which that, well, well, that would make sense. That, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, yeah the, the playoff struggles are well documented with the Rosen. It ultimately comes down to how much you want to value his regular season production, where I have him at 30, now 31, because of Millsap, <laughs> yeah. lower. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I would have him at probably 32 or 33, like he's really close to that area, and yes, I, I highly value his regular season uh, production, and uh, you know, don't value his, uh, his playoff production at all, to the point that I think you know, even Danny Green, although, you know, it would be crazy for me to say Danny Green is a better player than DeRozan. He is not. But, uh, you know, when it comes to filling a role and producing in the playoffs, I wouldn't be shocked if Danny Green does more for the Raptors this postseason than DeRozan did last year. 
that's that's totally defensible. It's just like Danny Green's not a guy who's going to get you there, and we both exactly yeah accept that. So it's that's where the value differentiator is. Um, but yeah, that's a very good point. Like maybe I should have Rosen lower. I felt weird having him lower. Um, I don't know. He's just such a great guy. <laughs> yeah, and and he is really fun to watch, especially because he you know he plays a different style than you see from most guys. Because again, he lives in the mid range. His his footwork is is excellent. Uh, but uh, but so now that we've gotten through all thirty. Were there uh, were there any other uh, honorable mentions or anybody you uh, you felt like uh, you needed to mention here? Yeah, I got I got actually a whole list of them. Um, so Boogie Cousins, don't know quite where to put him. Um, we can just rattle through them quickly. Yeah. Brad, Brad Beal, you had him. I, he just missed it for me. Um, ben Simmons, same deal. Marcus Aldridge, uh, CJ McCollum, um, maybe not quite on yes. level with those guys, but worth at least mentioning. Um, some of the big men, Capella, Stephen Adams, hard to you know isolate their contributions because they are effective, but it's very team dependent. Um, Ke- uh, I, we mentioned Kevin Love, uh, Devin Booker. I think uh, you know he's. You can argue top thirty now. I think definitely. After this time next season, we'll be saying he's in there. Um, okay. Again, same thing for Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum. Just didn't feel like taking that leap quite yet for those three. Yeah, the um, yeah, definitely. I thought about Mitchell and Tatum. I yeah, I just you know Tatum especially because regular season he was not nearly the the player he was uh, come postseason. But that was such an impressive playoff run. And and Mitchell, you know, he was a guy that for me just wasn't consistent. And I don't mean game to game. I meant I mean more in terms of quarter to quarter. You know, he would have quarters where he would blow up and go for twenty points, but then you'd realize it's entering the fourth quarter. He just scored twenty in the third, and he's got twenty two for the game. You know, <laughs> and uh, he uh, a little bit too inconsistent for me. But uh, you know, rookies generally are. Uh, but yeah, I imagine both of those guys will be there. Uh, yeah, and of course, Kemba Walker and John Wall, uh, you know, were were a couple of uh, tough omissions for me. They were they were right on the borderline. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, this was a really fun exercise. It was uh, it was it was really neat seeing uh, you know how our opinions differed and uh, also the ones we agreed with. Yeah, one one last thing I'll say about Donovan Mitchell is the main reason I didn't have him at you know in the top thirty was just the off the dribble shooting. It's still around only like thirty percent. So if you're wondering why. Uh, he's not up there with like Kemba or like Lowry, even though he maybe eye test wise was on that level. Um, that that is why. Well, yeah, and I mean that that just goes to show you how much room he could possibly improve. You know, if he can get that number even to thirty four or thirty five percent, he'd be an absolute monster. But uh, I but, don't want to think about it. As, <laughs> as someone who, who who has to, you know, maybe face the Jazz in the finals one day. <laughs> right. As well, a Celtics fan. Well, Scott, uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. This was an absolute blast. And again, I just wanted to uh, to reiterate uh, that uh, he writes for 94feetreport.com, and he's got an article on Nikola Miritich. Again, Scott, thank you so much, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Gary. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. Again, I am Garrett Bougay, and a thanks again to Scott Levine for coming on and uh, participating in that exercise next week we've got uh, part two of anthony brown and my conversation on the 2002 western conference finals we watched games six and seven and gave our thoughts on that so uh, stay tuned for that and have a great rest of your day leftovers or 
the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.